Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. From the team of the 80s to the bottom dwellers of the division, from dynasty to laughingstock, the team by the bay has been through it all. But there's still no franchise in the NFL quite like the San Francisco 49ers. Can they pick up where they left off, or will they fall back to the bottom? Oscar Aparicio from the Better Rivals podcast joins us on the NFC West preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Show number eight of 14, which means we've reached the peak. Now we're headed downhill towards the finish line, and it's all downhill from here. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back. The NFC West Opponent Preview Part 2, this time featuring the last place San Francisco 49ers. Unfortunately, I had to take a rain check on, on Tracy Sandler earlier this week. Wasn't able to get anything rescheduled. Had to go into the bullpen, get in touch with Oscar Aparicio from the Better Rivals podcast, um, affiliated with Niners Nation and SB Nation, uh, to help us out. Uh, talked to him yesterday on Saturday. Had a great conversation. Talked a lot about the 49ers and the, you know, what, what a strange year 2017 was. An 0-9 start, um, you know, only to finish, what, 6 and. Six and one, uh, you know, for in those last seven games, uh, the last five of which started by Jimmy Garoppolo after the midseason trade started with that victory over the Bears. We touch upon that a little bit. And then, you know, four straight victories after that, including over two playoff teams in Tennessee and Jacksonville. So actually three, if you count the Rams, I mean, it was a a no nothing meaningless game for the Rams in week 17. They sat most of their starters, but. You know, not only did the 49ers win, they blew them up. It was like 34 to 13 or something like that being the final score. But so I guess you can technically count that one. They beat three playoff teams in that five game uh, winning streak there towards the end of the season. But, um, you know, talked about the offseason, the draft, you know, how, what, what expectations were going into it. I don't think anybody saw them drafting McGlinchey in the first round. I think people saw it like you'll say here, Oscar say they were thinking pass rush, some kind of defense to get after the quarterback, not necessarily a an offensive tackle. But, um, you know, he's OK with the pick now. And he tells us why uh, in the interview as well. So um, it was a really great talk. And I really appreciate Oscar stepping in and, and being able to uh, help us out. So I wouldn't have to go too deep into the NFC West before I could go back in order uh, again. So um, we'll, we're going to stay in order from here on out. We got the Seahawks, who are our second place finisher coming up uh, uh, later this week. And we finish things off with the L.A. Rams. And that dude, I want to talk to that dude, man. A native Chicagoan repping the Rams? No, you don't do that. You don't do that. You just don't. So I'm, we're going to have a conversation with that guy. But i got to wait till Wednesday to talk to him. So uh, anyway, 
it's uh, a quick uh, little news and notes uh, section. Want to dive in here um, real quick? Um, I don't know if this means much of anything. Well, actually, we'll save that for next. But um, I don't know if any of you heard. Not exactly bear related as far as the player that is concerned, but um, it just kind of one of those things where, of course, that's what happens. Uh, Jameis Winston, quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, being issued a three-game suspension by the NFL. I don't know if that's official yet, uh, but I do know that you know what I have read and what I've heard of some kind of um, incident in 2016. I don't know why the hell these things take so long to um, you know manifest themselves and get resolved and you know all that kind of stuff. And you know it's just a waste of time. Actually, that whole thing with Brady and you know Inflategate or whatever that was the 2014 AFC Championship game. It wasn't until the beginning of the 2016 season that, um, you know, Brady decided to put his guns down and, and, you know, go ahead and just serve the suspension and get it over with. So, but, uh, you know, I guess this kind of falls right in line. It was 2016 when this incident occurred, something about inappropriate behavior with an Uber driver or something like that. I'm not, I don't have all the details. All I know is that it's a three game suspension. Um, I hear that, uh, or I've read, I should say that he does not plan to appeal the suspension so we're just going to go ahead and get it over with get this done and behind him and of course his first game back his first start of the season will be in chicago against the bears so there you go so we get uh we get Jameis winston and um you know it, it, it'll actually kind of be like uh when we played garoppolo last year against the 49ers it's like which which Jameis winston are we going to get you know just like we want to know which garoppolo were we going to get against the bears we're we going to get that guy that looked awesome when he was with the Patriots, but that was with Patriot personnel and Patriot coaching staff uh, leading the way. Uh, or are we going to get the guy who's playing on the one in ten San Francisco 49ers with the uh, Buccaneers uh, when we play them Week Four? Are we going to get the Jameis Winston that everybody's waiting to kind of snap into Pro Bowl mode here, or are we going to get the guy that's going to show that um, you know he gets to play through the preseason, but once that's done, he's got to he basically he can't go anywhere near the facility until his suspension uh, is over. Does he show the ring rust that somebody who hasn't played football in a month uh, would show? You know that kind of thing. So we'll have to wait and see what uh, what happens with that. But uh, of course, his first game back will be against the Bears. So uh, I just thought that was uh, that was interesting. And then the last thing I got. You know, just the quiet time of the year for the news and notes, which is why we do these shows with the opponent previews uh, and whatnot. Uh, the NFL released their uh, top 10 jersey sales uh, for 2018 thus far. So we're halfway through the year at this point. And guess who number eight, excuse me, number seven on the list is none other than our fared quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. That's right. Number seven in the in jersey in overall jersey sales uh, in the NFL. Right now, number one, Saquon Barkley. Number two, Carson Wentz. Three is Ezekiel Elliott. Four, Von Miller, the highest-rated defensive player on that list. Uh, Dak Prescott at five. Bradley Chubb, six. Mitch Trubisky coming in at seven. Ahead of Sam Darnold, Tom Brady, and Cam Newton. So not bad uh, for our young number 10. Number seven overall and uh, ahead of guys like Brady and Cam Newton. So take that for what you will. You know, hopefully... uh, you know, he's uh, out there when then, you know, getting some of the kids to to back him up and uh, we'll, we'll see him, be, you know, be the special guy that we all we saw flashes of in 2017 and hope that he emerges as 
2018. So I think it's really cool that that's uh, you know something that we see. And I think we only had two defensive players on the list. Ironically, both of them Broncos, Von Miller at number four, and then Bradley Chubb, their first-round pick this year, at number six. So a offensive league with eight out of the ten in the top ten are offensive players. Big surprise there. Most of them quarterbacks, too, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look at that list again. Bradley Chubb running back, Wentz quarterback, Ezekiel Elliott, Von Miller, Dak Prescott, that's another quarterback, Mitch, Sam Darnold, Tom Brady, Cam Newton. So what's that? One, two, three, four, five, six out of the ten are quarterbacks. So there you go. 60% out of the out of the, the hundred that we have provided. So but Mitch is up there. Number seven, ahead of uh Darnold Brady. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And Cam Newton, so... Uh, I thought that was interesting, so I just thought I'd throw that in there because there is literally nothing else going on right now. Everybody's taking breaks and on vacation and, you know, training camp still weeks away. I did see a post online today that as of today, I believe it was today, um, 39 days until the Hall of Fame game. So five weeks and four days away from Bears-Ravens on Thursday, August 2nd, not 3rd, August 2nd, uh, when those guys butt heads to kick off the preseason and uh, celebrate the uh, the new 2018 Hall of Claim Hall of Fame class, which our beloved Brian Erlacher is a part of. So, yeah, 39 days away, and it will be here. 39 as of Sunday night, because that's when I'm recording this Sunday night. So by the time most of you are hearing this tomorrow on Monday, 38 days from now is when all that will take place. So, it's it sounds like a lot, but it's not really. It really isn't. So, uh, yeah, super excited about that. But um, anyway. That's all I got. So we're going to go ahead and, and move on and, and talk to our friend, our new friend, Oscar Aparicio from the Better Rivals uh, podcast uh, from Niners Nation in SB Nation. And, uh, we, you know, we cover everything, the 2017, the roller coaster that, of, you know, what that was and, you know, uh, the, the tra- trajectory of where the team is headed. Can they continue the run that they were on? Um, you know, t- can they pull it off? Can they do it? Um, and with the NFC West in the state that it is, with the Seahawks kind of, you know, kind of reloading. I don't know if they're rebuilding, but they're definitely reloading. They're, they're trimming the fat. And a lot of players that helped them win the Super Bowl in 2013 are not on the team anymore. Uh, you know, can the Rams repeat what they did a year ago? Uh, can the you know, can Arizona bounce back with a new head coach and a new quarterback and, and so on and so forth? And, and where do the 49ers fit in with all that? We cover all that and so much more with Oscar Aparicio here. So I'm going to go ahead and step aside and help us get through previewing the 2018 San Francisco 49ers.
San Francisco 49ers on tap here for the uh, preview uh, as we continue our way through the NFC West and to uh, help us preview this team and uh, what could be an interesting year out by the Bay, uh, Oscar Aparicio. I pronounced that correctly, right? That's exactly right. You get bonus points. Awesome. Uh, from the Better Rivals podcast, joining us. Welcome to the show, Oscar. Thanks for having me on. So, like we always like to ask our, our new friends when we have them on the show, we like to ask uh, where you're from, where you are now, and what your favorite moment as a 49er fan would be. Well, where I'm from, I'm from the, the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where my, my fandom really came to into fruition. As a young child, I watched the team win a whole lot of Super Bowls in the 80s, and they were really good through the 90s. Sure. Well, my earliest memory of football, and the reason probably I became a fan was watching Joe Montana throw the touchdown pass to John Taylor in the back of the end zone mm. to win uh, the Super Bowl against the Bengals. I think it was uh, you know, that was the 89 Super Bowl. But probably my most favorite recent memory was Vernon Davis's uh, catch to, against the New Orleans Saints because um, that was that basically was the the play of most recent years where it was, you know, they're back. They're finally good again. And, and that was a hell of a playoff game. So those probably bookend, you know, my child fandom start and then my favorite memory thus far. I have very bittersweet memories about 23, Super Bowl 23, because the the 49ers beat the Bears to get to that Super Bowl. Yep. Uh, Came into Soldier Field, a bitterly cold day. We thought it was in the bag. There's no way the 49ers would be able to hang with us in in bear weather. Oh, yeah. You guys whooped the feathers off of us that day, man. It was pretty bad. 28 to 3, I believe the final score was. Yep. That was a that was a bad bad day because <laughs> yeah, uh, we had home field advantage and we just you know we we just uh, never mind I don't want to get into it anymore anyway um, so but where are you living now uh, so now I actually live in Austin Texas I came out Austin. To, to Austin for graduate school I went to UT okay uh, which you'll also see me retweet and tweet a lot about Texas football so it's kind of weird right like I'm a I'm a you know Bay Area kid love the Niners. Love the Warriors, love the Sharks, love the Earthquakes even. But I went to Santa Clara University, and we didn't have a football team. The mm. football team was, was axed uh, quite a bit before I got there. And so when I got to UT, it was uh, you know it was my opportunity to have a college team. So sure. that's, how, that's how I adopted a college team. And I'm still in Austin. I love it out here. Uh, and luckily, we're able to, to do our podcast from, from Austin. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned before we started recording is that, you know, I, I didn't I didn't you didn't answer that question for me. I told you to wait. But, you know, not living in your team's market makes you stereotypical amongst the people that I've spoken to over the years that I've been doing uh, the interviews where you are nowhere near your team. And uh, but uh, it also goes right in line with the kind of people that I want to talk to because you're passionate enough that you even though you are not where they are, that you're still with them. You know, and I think that's that's really cool. And that's why I, you know, have people like you on the show that are passionate uh, about their teams. I mean, we've been doing the podcast for about six years and I've been writing uh, about the Niners in one form or fashion since 2003, since just mm-hmm. after the, the playoff game against the, the Giants where you have oh, the, wow. the last second miss and you know, you've got the, the missed snap with Trey Junkin that cost the, the, the Giants the game and it was you know, the second largest comeback I think in playoff history. So I've been writing about the Niners since then. Um, not very well, but, but well enough to kind of keep doing it over the years. Sure. Um, and the podcast we started about six years ago and, and it's really taken off since. You know, I, I actually, believe it or not, have a personal connection to that, uh, that Giants uh, 49ers game. Um, when, when Junkin botched that, that field goal snap and they did the, uh, 
the jailbreak for you know people going out the uh the quote unquote intended receiver uh of that uh the, of that errant pass that the the kicker ended up throwing or the 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 holder I believe it was uh I went to school with that guy his name oh, was really? uh Rich Soybert uh he was a an offensive lineman from Western Illinois he was for some reason one of the wings on the uh on the on the on the field goal team so he actually went out for, for a pass when uh when the ball went sideways and he was the you know he would that's who the defender was defending on that play was was my old friend rich soybert from the from western illinois it was funny as hell when i found that out there's like oh my god that was rich are you kidding me but that's that's how it all went down oh that's so funny and, and then of course you've got the controversy with him potentially getting interfered with right. he got dragged down by the defensive end uh, and everyone, I mean, even I thought I was like, oh, no, it's going to be, you know, defensive pass interference. They're going to get another chance at it. And then the, they just called the game and that was it. And I was like, OK, we'll take it. <laughs> that that entire game was bananas watching the Giants just pull out and, you know, get that huge lead. And Jeremy Shockey scores a touchdown. He's dancing in the end zone and all that kind of stuff. And then slowly but surely, the you know, the Niners work their way back into it and take the lead late and everything. It was it was an amazing game. Yep, it was. It really was. It was a really fun game, and and that was that was kind of peak Jeff Garcia. And then you know they got completely trounced the next week, I think, by Tampa Bay, and that was the uh, the beginning of the end, really, because I think that was Mooch's second to last year. After that, he loses again to Green Bay and then gets fired. So, um, so we 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 move on to 2017, and it was. What were the expectations going into 2017? Were there any going into? I mean, you, I know that there was at least new hope going into the year with with Shanahan and and and, and Lynch coming in together. They both signed the same term, you know, same uh, uh, terms of uh, what's the length of contract? I guess would be the words that I'm looking for. Uh, uh, that you know, they got a million, you got a hundred million dollars in cap space. You go out and sign some players, but what really was the expectation going into 2017? You know, going into 2017, there really wasn't a huge expectation because it was really going to be the first year of a rebuild. The The big unknown was whether or not John Lynch was going to be able to turn into an actual GM after living in the booth. Of course, you had Matt Millen, who paved the way for how not to do it. Right. And so you're thinking, I've got no clue. Like, just because you were a player doesn't mean you're a good GM. This seems a little weird. You know, it, it was really it was a little divisive because you just didn't know he was a complete unknown. Cal Shanahan, of course, was a bit more of a known quantity. But even then, there were some rumors that like he was kind of bristly in Cleveland and, you know, maybe he wasn't the first choice. And, you know, it, it was it was kind of crazy. But you knew, OK, these guys are coming in. They both have six year deals, which is pretty long, which means they're committed. They're going to get runway to do what they need to do. And the number one thing you hope they do is turn over the roster because the roster was just in, in bad shape. Balky did not leave it. Trent Balky, the former GM, did not leave the roster in a great state. And that's exactly what they do. They turn over something like over 50% of the roster almost, you know, just before training camp. And, you know, Brian Hoyer, we know that he's going to be a bridge quarterback. I think he was only making like he was making peanuts for a quarterback. Mm -hmm. And we were all basically looking ahead to the draft to draft a quarterback and have that really be where the Niners begin to get some some expectations put around them and and then of course the season ends you know similar but different with us finding a quarterback just finding it in a very different way yes yes and uh, as you know we had a very interesting interaction with each other on draft night uh last year and uh you know the trade and um 
looking like the Bears kind of got fleeced on it to, to you know to give up everything they to move up one spot and uh, and everything. I mean the the for, I never really put anything on the 49ers for that one because they got you know they they got paid for the for the spots and 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 whatnot. They they offered the deal and the Bears took it. So I really wouldn't put it on them. And but um, you know draft night was interesting, man. I was not happy about the Bears taking Trubisky. I didn't think we were ready to to you know to bring in a young quarterback i thought that bringing in a quarterback at that time would would ruin him because he didn't have a good team uh around him and uh, i thought it was a mistake and thankfully i was wrong about that i mean you know obviously we didn't have a great year but trubisky i think is the real deal and will uh be good things will be able to do good things for us uh going forward so but we go into into 2017 and you know if expectations were low the first eight nine weeks of the season you guys were hitting on all cylinders as far as uh, keeping those expectations down, an 0-9 start. But when I was looking at the schedule from last year, I'm seeing a lot of, re- well, at the first five games, five, six games at least, the first, just a lot of narrow margins. I mean, you lose that first game at with against Carolina 23-3, no big surprise there. The Panthers are a good football team. But 12-9 loss to Seattle. Then probably the best Thursday night game I've ever seen between you guys and the Rams, 41-39. to You guys lose it there. Back-to-back overtime games, you lose by a field goal to Arizona and Indianapolis. And then a narrow two-point loss to Washington. How close were you guys to winning those games and not having that crazy 0-9 start? You know, the, the 49ers were the first team to lose five consecutive games by three or fewer. Wow. Like, that had never happened before in NFL history. It was just close loss after close loss after close loss even after switching to cj bethard and some of these teams were really good i mean we lost against a, a pretty good washington team you know we th- that rams team not knowing how good they would be by end of year i just rewatched that game prepping for one of our shows for for next week and i mean it was it was a crazy wild game it was yeah. probably one of the top two or three games uh of the of the year i think especially in a primetime situation so the, the team just felt like they were close. They were on the precipice and something always went wrong, whether it was a Beathard interception or whether it was just a bad play call or a fumble or, um, you know, a, a pick. There, there are so many times where Kyle Shanahan loves to run some pick plays out with a slot receiver and, and we just got called for offensive pass interference seemingly with regularity and it would call back a first down. It's third and long. You don't make it. And then all of a sudden everything falls apart. So it felt like, this is what it looks like when you win maybe two games over the course of the year. And, you know, that, that was OK, because, again, there were no expectations. We didn't really care about the result. We cared about the process, or at least smart fans did. Sure. And and so it was one of those things where hopefully best case scenario, you're still able to get these young players experience because there were a lot of really young starters. And then you still get a high draft pick. You can get one of the quarterbacks that are rated really high. You can take your pick of guy and and off you go or if you're going to sign Kirk Cousins you can flip that pick that first second third overall pick for a court to a quarterback needy team and get a huge haul of picks for later sure and still put yourself in a good position so honestly through the first about 11 weeks things were shaping up pretty well for the future which is all 49ers fans had on their mind right and after those you know very close losses those five games in a row as you said uh, three or two big blowout losses to the Cowboys and Eagles, forty to ten for the Cowboys, thirty-three to ten to the Eagles, and then the Arizona completes the season sweep. 
week number nine. So after nine weeks, you're you're zero and nine. Uh, you're giving Cleveland a run for their, you know, for, as for as far as the title of worst team in in the NFL. But looking at your at your results here, probably definitely a better team than than Cleveland was uh, a year ago. But for through the first eight weeks, zero and eight, and then you know you make a trade around midseason. You get your hands on Jimmy Garoppolo. Of course, he doesn't play for the first two three weeks, and he's on the team. But you start zero and eight. You finish six and two. Uh, to go, not to mention a five-game winning streak uh, for the, you know, to hit the end of the season, which of course began in Soldier Field against my beloved Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean the the last five weeks, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I think the way that we've described him in the past is that, you know, if if a rising tide lifts all boats, then Jimmy Garoppolo was effectively a tsunami <laughs> because he he made everyone better across the board. And that's just the importance of the quarterback position in today's NFL. Right. And and so, I mean, it made the offensive line better. All of a sudden, players like Lakin Tomlinson, who was a cast off from Detroit, is is actually playing pretty well. He was pro football Focus's eighth highest rated guard in the last five or six weeks of the season. And he just got signed for a three year extension, which, you know, is great. And, and it's not like Lakin Tomlinson immediately turned into a fantastic guard. It's just that he had much better quarterback play, who was able to get the ball out on time, who was able to do something. You know, kind of it makes the offensive line look better. You know, it's the Peyton Manning effect for for his offensive lines. Sure. So so, you know, it really made everyone better. You could now really see Kyle Shanahan's offense click, even though he's operating off of a, you know, a limited set of that offense. And and it really just it was amazing to see what he was able to do with the, with even a, a talent deprived roster because they weren't super talented. But even then, I mean, they completely walloped the Jaguars, who were, you know, the second best team in the AFC this year. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they beat the Titans, which were a playoff team. Of course, they beat your Bears and the Texans, but the Texans didn't have Deshaun Watson. And, and of course, the Rams were resting their starters. So a couple of things broke their way. But even then, you still had Jimmy Garoppolo really proving what the value of a quarterback was. You know, what was so interesting about that game in Chicago was when was a stat that I learned after the game and it just made me nuts. I mean, it, it's not one of those games. I mean, if if you remember the game in 2015 when they came to Chicago the first time, there was a game where the Bears made and I still talk about this now because it made me crazy. The Bears made like six different mistakes, uh, and if they don't make one of them, if they make five mistakes instead of six, we win that game uh, against the 49ers. We had a holding penalty, bring a punt return. For a touchdown back, Robbie Gold, who's your kicker now, missed a couple of field goals uh, in regulation that would have won us the game. Cutler throws a pick six that should have never left his hands. If any one of those things doesn't happen, the Bears win that game. So I was so ready for 2016 for the rematch because I wanted that game back. And we won the game in 2016. Jordan Howard goes nuts, scores three touchdowns. But 2017 was you know it was going to be an anomaly going into it because it was going to be Garoppolo's first start we had no idea what to expect from him the guy hasn't played a football game since week two of 2016 uh when he got when he got hurt and didn't uh, play those last two games without Brady there um and the stat was that the Bears um didn't allow a touchdown they scored a team on they scored a special teams touchdown and had a turnovers they got interceptions the first team in the history of the nfl which is closing in on 100 years now uh first team to do that and still lose the game well that game i mean the game ended 15 14 it was a super close game and and you look at i mean and it was robbie gold's comeback game it was because of course robbie gold kicks the the field goals in the third quarter and the fourth quarter to eventually put the the team over the top 
I don't think the team scored a touchdown, if I'm remembering correctly. It was, you know, 3-6-3-3. And, of course, Chicago had the, uh, I think it was Kyle Fuller, didn't he, who got that interception where he ripped it away from the receiver on the slant? Yeah. So I thought, oh, God, here we go. Like, their defense is making plays. But Mitch Trubisky, man, he was accurate, as he is, because he's a ridiculously accurate quarterback, but he only mm-hmm. threw the ball 15 times. Right. That, that conservative game plan, you know, really kind of gotcha a little bit. And, and then you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's game, and it was, you know, he was 26 for 37 for almost 300 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and, and that's the difference. That, that was the difference right there. It really was. And like you said, the conservative uh, game plan, it was something that plagued the Bears all year long. I, I don't know if it was that they didn't trust the rookie or they just wanted to limit his mistakes so as to not get him into to bad habits. But defenses were able to tee off on the Bears all year because they knew that we weren't going to throw the ball or that we didn't have anyone to throw the ball to, that we were basically just going to put Cohen and Howard in the backfield, load up the front, and then try to run the ball as much as we possibly could. And if you can at the very least slow the Bears down on the ground, you had us clocked. And that's why we only scored 14 points. One of We scored two touchdowns. We did score a touchdown of our own, and then Tariq Cohen had that bananas punt return. Yep. where he ran backwards and then backwards some more and then turned around and it was a wide open field. He was never touched once on, on that punt return. So that was the other thing. We, we scored a special teams touchdown. We didn't allow a touchdown and we had turnovers and we still lost the game. First time in the league history for that to ever happen. So, you know, and that's why I think, you know, if I were a Bears fan, I'd be super excited about having Nagy as a head coach because your offense was incredibly predictable and super simple last year. I mean, yep. even even I knew it was going to be a run with Jordan Howard and then another run in some way shape or form and then you you maybe you had a play action pass where you would wheel or or kind of bootleg out Mitch Trubisky and when you bootleg out a quarterback you're cutting the field in half which makes it easier for the defense and there's really only three routes that you're going to be able to run you know you you're running a deep post you're running an over and then you're running something in the flat and defenses know that it's not that difficult to defend but that seemed to be the only thing that the bears seemed to want to call yeah. until you had Tariq Cohen who you know is really really electric and, and maybe he got his hands on a screen or something like that and made something work. And so I, I, I think that that's, you know, that was a big part of what happened with the Bears. And I think Nagy's really going to make that offense go. He knows, you know, offensive creativity, man. He comes off that Andy Reid train. And I think he's going to tailor make an offense for Mitch Trubisky. And I think it's going to be really exciting because your defense has some pieces. They really do. Yeah. And, and of course, Vic Fangio being Vic Fangio. He's still the defensive coordinator, right? He is. Signed a yeah. three-year extension. Yeah, and I mean, we know him, of course, from the Niner days, and he sure. runs a fantastic, you know, a, a pattern match cover two scheme, which is great. Super technically sound defenses, really, really well coached. You know, so I think that the Bears are, are in a really good spot, man. And a head coach, as the Niners know, can do a lot. At the very least, what has Bear fans so excited about Matt Nagy and the potential of his offense is that it's not going to be as boring and predictable as it was. We're going to mix some things up. We're going to have some situations where we're getting – Cohen and Howard on the field at the same time, which could really shake some defenses up like, oh, God, who do we focus on? They're on the field together, you know, really could make things interesting, not to mention adding Robinson and Gabriel, Trey Burton to go along with everything that we have already. So it's we we know that that Maggie know, Nagy knows how to use pieces. We watched him do it in Kansas City when he was the play caller. And I think that's what has us excited is that the potential is there that we could have an explosive offense. But at the very least, you're not going to be able to see us coming from a mile away, and it's not going to be boring football like it was last year. So I think exactly. that's, that's what everybody's excited about. So we go into the offseason, and didn't the Niners have an, an insane amount of cap space going into the offseason again? 
Yeah, so there's this weird rule now with the new CBA over unused cap space. And when you don't have really good players, you don't spend any of your money. <laughs> so, right. And when you have a super conservative GM who just doesn't sign a lot of free agents because he is really insistent that his draft picks are really good and you know he gives players like Vance McDonald a $25 million extension. Small aside, we have a drinking game for our podcast whenever we're watching Niner games. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of them is when, you know, uh, when Vance McDonald was still on the field, whenever he drops a pass, you drink. Um, and, and because the, the dude just couldn't catch. I don't know how he was a receiving tight end at Rice, but the dude just couldn't catch. And, and for whatever reason, Trent Balky was like, yeah, that guy's worth 25 mil. Let me go ahead and throw some cash his way. And it's like, what are you doing, dude? So, you know, you didn't have a lot of high-priority free agents. Your players weren't worth a whole hell of a lot. And, and so you were able to roll over a whole bunch of money, and, and all of a sudden you're sitting on this trove of like 100 million plus in cap space. And, and the Niners, you know, are finally starting to use that, especially now that we've got a quarterback. And, and they're structuring those deals really, really smartly because Parag Marate, who's our chief contract negotiator, basically structures contracts like a genius. We call him a marathlete because... Hmm. Between between roster guarantees, which looks like a guaranteed salary, so it looks like a player is going to make a ton of money, and it's like, oh, it's like 18 million guaranteed or whatever. It's like, yeah, but a lot of that's tied to game day bonuses, and so if that player is not on the roster, guess what? They're not getting that money, um, you know. Or putting in escalators where you have an out where you can say every year if we can cut you before free agency and your salary is not guaranteed, which is what happened with Colin Kaepernick. Um, you, you know, little things like that that really, really protect the team. All of a sudden, you know, he's managed the cap really well. And we were able to do things like front load Jimmy Garoppolo's contract because we have so much cap space this year. I think his cap hit this year is going to be somewhere something absurd, like 36 or 37 million. But the next year, his cap hits only 20 million. Hmm. which is a bargain for a quarterback. Sure. So it, it's days, a yeah. lot. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, it's a lot of stuff like that that put the Niners in a really, really positive position to do things this offseason like they did with extending Marquise Goodwin, who took you know a pretty sweet hometown discount because he's, he's really good, but he signed a, a really reasonable extension. We've signed our quarterback. Um, you know, We were able to sign Jarek McKinnon, who's going to unlock Shanahan's offense as a receiving back out of the backfield. Um, you know, and we're still able to carry what I would think was kind of a stupid decision in a 20 million fullback contract with Kyle Juszczyk that we signed yes. into in 2017, you know, so we're able to kind of, you know, stretch a little bit and, and make some dumb decisions because they've managed the cap so well over the course of, of Marate's tenure. So talk to me about what happened with Daniel Kilgore, uh, because I, I knew that they, I remember that, that he was traded because we, uh, you traded him to Miami and we play the dolphins this year. So I've actually, talked to my Dolphins guy, and we talked about them making that trade to get Kilgore. But what I didn't know about that situation was that he signed an extension with the 49ers yeah. and then got traded like a month or so after that. So what happened there? And, so, and, and here's one of those other contract quirks, right? So he signed an extension, and they said, yes, but this year, and it's going to have some guarantees and, and yada, 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 but this, this stuff gets guaranteed three days after free agency begins. And so, of course... In the tampering period, the Niners know they want to upgrade their center because Kyle Shanahan, on the offensive line, his positions of value are center and tackle. He feels like he can get away with, you know, average guards, basically. Um, and, and that's Alex Mack, of course, was his prototypical center in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, tackles are valuable because of what they do in the pass game and how they protect your passer. And especially in Shanahan's scheme, 
tackles have really difficult reach blocks on the backside. So you need athletic tackles that can run in, in his zone scheme because that's the base of his entire offense. And so you know that you want an upgraded center. Kilgore is decent. Not great, but decent. And, and so they sign him to an extension because they really don't have anyone else on the roster to kind of take his spot. But they put in that little quirk in the contract that says, you know what? If I find a better player in free agency, then I'm still able to, to trade you and get this roster, this salary off the books if, if, it, you know, if we find a better center. And they did. Weston Richburg is great. Of course, he's coming off injury, but his peak play is better than Kilgore's peak play. And, and Kilgore didn't have a, you know, a fantastic year last year. Um, he was ranked as PFF's 23rd graded center with a grade of 51, which is suboptimal. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you think there's 32, cent- there's 32 starting centers in the league, he's 23rd. He's in that bottom third. That's not great. Right. And, and so you know you want to upgrade your core position on the offensive line, and the Niners took their shot and, and did it with someone like Weston Richburg, who I think is absolutely an upgrade. And so now they've got this player on their hands, and they're like, well, he does have some value. We know that there are teams around the NFL that need a center. So rather than cutting him, let's go ahead and, and trade him to Miami. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it sucks because Kilgore was a, a popular locker room guy. And he did an interview with one of the, the beat writers that covers the Niners, Matt Mayoko. And he was open about saying that when he found out, he cried. And that sucked. And, you know, there, there's a human side to this, which is terrible. Yeah. But from a football sense... From a football sense, it, it made all sense in the world for the 49ers to make that move. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the one thing. You, you, you knew, uh, what a blindside that may have been uh, for him to to sign a three year extension, then a month later get traded. Um, yeah. You know, you think you've got your set, you know, your family's in place and everything's good to go, and then all of a sudden you're moving from one end of the country to the other, from Northern California to Southern Florida. I mean, that's that's quite a big difference in in. Uh, in 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 uh, in setting uh, for you and and quite a distance to move your family. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on the bright side, we didn't trade him to Cleveland or something atrocious sure. like that. You know, he's yeah. got sunny Florida, and and I think Florida has lower state income tax, so he got a little bit of a raise. They have no um, state income tax. Oh, there you go. They're like yeah. Texas, which is awesome. So he got a he got a ten percent raise right away. So you know, there there are some things, and football unfortunately is is sometimes a really rough business in that way, but. I think any any Niners fan worth their salt would would wish the best for Kilgore sure. and knows he's going to uh, to a spot in my in Miami where they really needed a center and where he can elevate the line play of that of that offensive line. I think so. Uh, hopefully he does well. And, and, you know, I think hopefully Richburg does well. And I think Richburg will indeed be an upgrade over Kilgore. So it's very similar. I mean, well, not very similar in the fact that he was not beloved uh, by the fans, but I have a very similar sentiment towards Mike Glennon. Um, you know, you. I don't wish him ill. I didn't dislike him when he was the in neck. I mean, he just uh, he just wasn't he just wasn't good. He was walking into a bad situation that was made worse by the fact that the Bears drafted Trubisky right underneath him while he was at the goddamn draft party. I was like, talk about a cutthroat NFL move right there to to bring a guy in, <laughs> tell him that it's his team, and then draft his replacement before he's had a chance to take a snap. It was unbelievable. Uh, that all of that happened, and then it's like we don't have much um, of any kind of supporting cast at all, so it, a lot of it falls on him. The defenses have us clocked from the very beginning. We've got this rookie who played awesome in the preseason. He was just in a lose-lose-lose situation 
uh, across the board. So now that he's moved on and he's gone to Arizona, I do wish him the best because, you know, he did with, you know, it just didn't work out. It just wasn't meant to be. The Bears, like you said, played it smart with the contract to set it up in a way that it was only a one-year audition that we were giving him. It didn't work out, so both teams get to uh, move on. But I don't have any ill feelings towards Mike Glennon. He just he was just doomed from the start. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was something similar with Brian Hoyer. You know, we knew Brian Hoyer was just a stopgap. He was not brought in to be a long term starter, and he knew that just based on on the contract that he signed. And it sucks because in, in before the season, before 2017, everyone's asking him like, you know, oh well, do you think they're going to draft a quarterback? And he's like, dude, I don't know, man. I can only control what I can control, and that's that. And and you know, I think in the NFL, you kind of have to have that mentality a little bit. So. Sure. You know, it, it happens, and, and this is why just in general fandom, you know, I, I, I you don't want to, like, hate players. Like, oh, my God, I hate you. Oh, you're awful. It's like, nah, dude, like, these are people, too, and they may not be great at football, and they may be, you know, worse than maybe someone who's going to replace them, but eh, don't don't uh, wish ill on anyone. You know, hopefully they all succeed, and, and everyone, you know, and everyone does well. Right. So let's talk about the um, the draft. I mean, the the Niners were in an interesting spot. At number nine um, in the first round, um, you got your quarterback in the biggest quarterback draft that we've had probably since the 83 draft when Elway and Marino and all those guys uh, got drafted. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about how quickly the quarterbacks would go, that people were going to be trading left, right, and this, that, and other. You ended up drafting Mike McGlinchey, which goes on in, in line with uh, you know what you were saying about Shanahan and, and the tackles being of a premium in his offense. But that was not the way people were looking at the 49ers going into the draft. What were you guys focusing on? What was on your wish list? And what was your reaction to actually getting McGlinchey? Oh, man. So we, I mean, the Niners have a, a lack of talent at the true edge rusher, at the edge rusher position. They just, we don't have a true edge. We drafted Solomon Thomas last year, of course, with the pick we got from the Bears. Right. In retrospect, it would have been fantastic to get someone like Marcus Lattimore there uh, and still come back and get the, uh, the Reuben Foster at the end of the first round. But, but ultimately, we're like, okay, what could really unlock this defense is, is consistent edge pressure. And there really was only one edge guy that we thought would, was any good in this year's draft, and that was going to be Harold Landry. Harold Landry provided speed rush off the edge, incredibly athletic, incredibly talented, and of course, he was playing with an ankle injury all of, of the his last college season, which kind of depressed some of his stats and made him look like he had bad tape. And, and you know, it was a bit of a gamble. It was like, well, we think it's just your ankle. And so we'll, we'll get you. But but all of a sudden, the, the Niners draft Mike McGlinchey. And I'm, I, my initial reaction was like, huh? Because at, at the time we had Trent Brown and Trent Brown is a great pass blocking tackle. The dude is massive. He's like six, nine, three hundred and forty pounds. There's a picture that I really like where it show, it's like the, it's a picture of the offensive line from the sideline, and you can't see the guard. It looks <laughs> like it's tackle center because the dude is so big, he completely obscures the guard from a sideline view. The guy's massive, and and he was a, I mean he was a, a top ten pass blocking tackle. The problem was because of his size, he just wasn't able to move as well as Kyle Shanahan needed from the right tackle spot and so he wasn't able to execute those back uh those cutoff blocks on the backside of outside zone runs and he wasn't able to do some of the basic things really well that kyle shanahan needed and so i, I think the logic that shanahan and lynch took into the draft was look i don't think we're gonna have a top 10 pick next year if all goes well and and we continue on our trajectory 
we're maybe going to, if we're like a fringe playoff team, we're going to pick in the late teens, 20s area. And you can't get a 10-year tackle in that area because of just the lack of inbound talent from the draft, uh, from college. So if we're going to pick our tackle, we've got to do that now. And, and that's exactly what they did. And honestly, I, I, I can see the logic in it, and it makes a ton of sense. Mike McGlinchey is, was the best tackle in the draft. We knew the Raiders were going to try and get him because they had to settle for Colton Miller. He had three seasons of fantastic production and fantastic grading based on Pro Football Focus's grading. He had a peak grade of 90.6. It was the third highest in the nation amongst tackles. The number one run grade, though, number one run grade, and we know that Kyle Shanahan loves what offensive linemen do in the run game. Um, and so, you know, he's incredibly consistent, has a great anchor, excellent in the run game. He was the prototypical tackle for the 49ers. And so they, they got their guy and now they've got their right tackle position set. Joe Staley's probably got another two, three years left in his career. And when he retires, I think Mike McGlinchey moves right over to the left side and, and off you go. And so I think it was all in all, it was a really smart move, even if it wasn't the big, sexy edge rusher pick that we all wanted. Yeah, because I was uh, that was something that I was talking to 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 my draft guy that I have on the show was that um, you know he was asking me you know who I thought the Bears might be picking or who I wanted them to pick or, or you know or anything like that or actually I think it was maybe sock talking about small school guys that could surprise and show up in the first round and he mentioned Marcus Davenport from from uh, University of Texas at San Antonio yep. and I was like you know what you're right because I've been seeing a lot of mock drafts where he gets picked right after the Bears. Like, you see whether it was the Bears picking Tremaine Edwards or Quentin Nelson or whoever they had the Bears picking in the mock draft, you almost always saw Davenport 9 or 10 to the Raiders or the 49ers at that point. So seeing the, an edge rusher going at that point made sense, or at least that's where the experts were thinking along with, with 49er fans as well. Yeah, and, and honestly, with, with Davenport, like we knew he was kind of mocked all over the place. He was some, you know, pro football focus in their grading had him as a top 10 talent. But it, uh, we could easily see him slipping to Green Bay. I know there were lots of Green Bay fans that wanted Harold Landry. And, and this edge class wasn't very good. No. It, just, it, was, it was two guys. That, it was one guy really at the top considered to be the guy, and that was Chubb. And then after that, it was a lot of just, you know, kind of pick your flavor. And and so we really thought like if you if you're gonna get if you're gonna fix edge in the draft and the Niners certainly didn't fix it in in free agency they got uh, Jeremiah Atauchu from San Diego who you know is kind of has unrealized talent and you hope he turns into something but dude's been in the league for like five or six years at this point he probably is what he is mm-hmm. and you know and, and best case scenario he ends up with like six maybe seven sacks but if you're gonna solve edge in the draft you got to get one of the top two guys and if you're not gonna be able to get Chubb then Harold Landry is it, or you avoid the position altogether. And the team avoided the position altogether. They just went with a tackle first instead. So, and then was what was interesting, as I was looking over the, the draft choices and, 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 and everything, was that after you picked McGlinchey, every draft choice that you made after that, with the exception of your sixth-round pick, you got from somebody else. Because your second-round pick, uh, Dante Pettis, was a pick you got from the Redskins. Obviously, your third round pick came from Chicago. Uh, You got another third rounder for Trent Brown from New England. Uh, Your fourth round pick was a pick from Pittsburgh. Another Washington pick in the fifth round. The sixth rounder was yours. Seventh round from Miami, probably in the Kilgore trade. And then the final pick that you made was in Kansas City, was from Kansas City as far as where the pick originated. And we know how in those later rounds, those later round picks get traded around like 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 bananas. So 
you know, who knows where they actually started, but it was, uh, you know, there was a, a parentheses after every pick from Pittsburgh, from Washington, uh, from Miami. I thought it was crazy that the, the 49ers basically only made two picks that were actually theirs, and then the rest of them came from somebody else in one form or another. Well, I think that's that's a really smart strategy in terms of accumulating picks because you want to get as many shots as possible. The, there's been a, lot, a few studies that have shown that you know there, there really isn't one general manager or one team that consistently is just really, really good. Even the Oz, even the Aussie Newsoms of the world have bad drafts. Sure. And, and you think of the, the, the you know, kind of draft consultant now, but general manager who's considered to be one of the best of the, the last 10 years, and that's Scott McLuhan. Even he has bad drafts. He doesn't always hit on all of his picks. And so it, mathematically, it makes just a ton of sense to accumulate as many picks as you can so that you increase your chances of hitting on a guy. And, and, that may, and I think the Niners know that, and, and they play their draft board as a result. Now, what they also do is they also trade up when they fall in love with someone. And mm-hmm. that's what they did with Dante Pettis. Right. They traded, they traded up to get him as opposed to standing pat with their second-round pick because that was the guy they wanted and that was the player they identified. That's something the Niners have shown to do often, to overpay for the guy that they fell in love with. They did it with Juszczyk. They did it with uh, Jarek McKinnon. They, they traded up to get Dante Pettis because he was their guy. They did it with Malcolm Smith. They gave him a $23 million contract, and, and that he's just not a very good linebacker. Um, and, and so all in all, I think that's, that's one of the things that worries me about how they're building their team is like when they fall in love with a player, they will give up whatever to get him. And, and Dante Pettis, I still think it's a great pick because he's immediately a punt returner. Um, I mean, he has a record in college for returning, I think, like nine kicks for touchdowns, uh, which is ridiculous. And and so you've got him. But he's also a very, very versatile wide receiver. Our wide receiver core needs, of course, an infusion of talent. And, and Dante Pettis does what Shanahan wants his players to do, which is separate. There's there's kind of two camps when it comes to wide receiver valuation in the NFL. And there's, you know, the the Panthers who think, oh, just draft a big dude. And as long as he's big and he's 6'4 and he's 250 pounds, like someone will throw the ball up and he'll just outmuscle everyone. Right. And, you know, that that can work. But but I don't think that that's what, you know, really makes a wide receiver an effective wide receiver. Shanahan's basically like, no, I, I don't care. I want guys who can separate at the top of their route. How they do that is different. Garcon does it with with power. You've got Trent Taylor, who's our slot receiver, who does it with quickness and short shuttle. And then you've got players like Julio Jones who are going to separate with elite route running and with you know just consistent stems and with athleticism and speed and and Dante Pettis is definitely in in the world where he's going to separate at the top of his route with athleticism and speed not saying that he's going to be anywhere near Julio Jones because Julio Jones is just a freak of nature but that's the kind of wide receiver that Shanahan really likes and so I'm actually really excited to see what he can do not just as a punt returner but also as a receiver in Shanahan's system. So who else amongst the uh, the final what six seven picks that you had after McGlinchey and Pettis uh, are you looking forward to seeing out there? Man, and so I'm actually excited about Ed Warner. He's a linebacker at a BYU because for me he is the leading indicator for what pass defense is in the modern NFL. So Fred Warner is a big dude. He's like six three. He's one of those hybrid safety linebacker players. In college, he played as the overhang defender a whole heck of a lot, which means that he played in space. He basically split the end of the line and the, the, the slot wide receiver or the whatever wide receiver was out there. So he played in a ton of space, and he's a fantastic athlete. He had an 80th percentile spark score, which is the 10th best among linebackers in his class. 
He had a great, great grade for all three seasons as a starter. Smart dude. We're actually putting him at Mike initially, which means he's calling the defense. And, and as a rookie, you got to come in and learn the defensive calls, get that call in your helmet, make sure everyone's in the right place, and then also execute your assignment. The team already clearly trusts him. And his coverage grades across his career were very, very good. So, I mean, this is a guy who hopefully is going to be, you know, your tight end eraser mm-hmm. or maybe a slot, uh, you know, a slot defender that can kind of work in space. And that's exactly what you need in today's NFL because really smart teams are attacking the middle of the field. They're attacking teams that leave, you know, a linebacker in the middle of the field. And if you don't have, you know, a, a Bobby Wagner or a KJ Wright, or if you don't have a really elite coverage linebacker, your slot receiver is going to expose that center of the field. And that's exactly where quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady make their money. So it's really, really interesting to me how the team is going to deploy him because I think that he he is going to show what the team, what the evolution of this cover three defense could really look like when you've got true coverage linebackers that don't have to come off the field on third down. Nice, nice. And was there another one besides Warner? Um, you know, for me, I think it's going to be uh, Tarvarius Moore out of Southern Miss. He's a defensive back, another super, you know, twitchy athlete. He's a 95th percentile spark guy, fourth among safeties because he's being asked to convert from safety to DB. He's never, he hasn't played DB, I think, since high school or something like that. But he's really, really big, really, really long. He fits that kind of Richard Sherman mold. He looks like the prototypical long cover three corner, and he's an incredible athlete. He is really, really good at making plays on the ball using his length, and athleticism is a big part of his game. And when he's covering wide receivers, you know, he, he performed well. So if he can convert into a really, really good corner, all, all of a sudden you've got Richard Sherman, who's probably got, even if he recovers from his Achilles, another maybe two, three years left. And you've got Akella Witherspoon, who was last year's third round draft pick, who's already proving to be really well. And you've got Tarvarius Moore. You can't have enough coverage guys in the NFL. And if you can cover, you can win. Jacksonville Jaguars showed that this year. They, in my opinion, are the modern NFL defense. Who cares about the run? They were like, you know, bottom third of the league guarding against or defending the run, but they could defend the pass. And if they were up by, a, by 10 points, you couldn't pass against them. And so you were basically cooked. And, and that, I think, is where teams are going. And if we can have three long cover guys, and then we've got a couple of, of good slot defenders, both in uh, Jimmy Ward, who's going to be the kind of the primary backup everywhere, um, and Kawan Williams, who we signed last year to an extension, you're going to have a really good back half of the defense. And, and if Jimmy Garoppolo can put up 21, 28 points a game, all of a sudden it's going to be really difficult to come back against this Niners defense. How is the Niners nation feeling about one of your most hated rivals joining the team this year with Richard Sherman? Man, I think I'm an outlier, honestly, because I, I only dislike Richard Sherman because he wasn't my Richard Sherman. Sure. <laughs> and, like, and so, you know, he, he, he single-handedly ended, you know, basically two of the Niners seasons. And... Hmm. It just, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, and he also had, of course, this is very famous in Niner fans memory, but the Thanksgiving game when the Niners lost to the the Seahawks on at Levi Stadium, he was eating a turkey leg, you know, on the 50 yard line. I mean, and he's a very, very vocal, loud guy. And and I think that's what people disliked is like, oh, it's so annoying because you're so good. And I hate that you're so good because I don't want you to be good. Right. Um, and and so that's that's the only reason I ever dislike Richard Sherman. I think he is, you know, he's always been a smart player. He's always been very, very good. And I'm just glad that he's our very good player. He already is coaching up the defensive backs. He's creating a, a DB room that's got really, really good camaraderie. And, and so I think that not only value as a player, but value as basically an, an informal coach is going to be great. 
I had no problems whatsoever signing him. It was a great deal, another team-friendly deal, and, and I hope that he gets back to Richard Sherman um, level because I think that's going to be awesome to, to have him out there uh, and, and to put a knife in Seattle twice a year because that would be good. I bet. Yeah, that would be. Well, you just described the last 25 years for me with Green Bay quarterbacks. Um, you know, Brett Favre and then Aaron <laughs> Rodgers coming right off his heels. As a Bear fan, you hated the existence of these two men on the planet. But as a football fan, you couldn't help but appreciate the talent that these guys possess and what they're able to do uh, on the field. And completely, right. completely different quarterbacks. Too, you know, Favre was the gunslinger. He's always taking chances. He was always the more, uh, always more animated on the field and and what he did, the way that he used to celebrate. I mean, I'm sure that you remember the the, the first touchdown pass he threw in Super Bowl 31 against the Patriots. He takes his helmet off. He's running down the field like a maniac. Like, dude, it's seven nothing. Calm down, you know. But it's just like he's going bananas. <laughs> he's going bananas on the field. He's throwing one touchdown pass. The game just got started. Uh, and everything, and you know, Rogers being much more reserved. Yeah, but but if he's your player, but if he's your player, you're like hell yeah, you're gonna run that absolutely. field. You take your helmet off. You Damn know, it's seven zero. Absolutely, <laughs> but you know, it's just like uh, you know. But as a football fan, you appreciate that. You love the way these guys play. They're making the game great, and you know, it's like people talk about Brady being the best quarterback in the NFL. I can wholeheartedly disagree. It's Aaron Rodgers by a mile. He is so much better than 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 Tom Brady, in my opinion. Uh, but he's you know completely different personality-wise as far and as a player uh, in general. He's a, he's a lot more you know analytical and, and cerebral than, than Favre ever was. Makes a lot fewer mistakes uh, than Favre did. Who's our touchdown champion and our interception champion all at the same time? So, but it's just like you know as a Bear fan uh, or on Bear Packer Sundays, I hate those guys. Every other day of the week, it's like God, Aaron Rodgers, what a guy, what a what a football player that guy is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, and that's exactly how I feel about Sherman. And I think a lot of players are kind of turning around to Richard Sherman. He, he's even unblocking 49ers fans on Twitter. <laughs> so uh, he it's really funny because basically we, you know, Niners Nation, a couple of people were like, hey, if we donate to a charity of your choice, will you unblock us? And and yeah, he was like, yeah, just basically send me any name that is a Niner fan that need that I need to unblock and I'll unblock you. So he's going through a great unblocking. He's already getting <laughs> connected in the community. Um, and, and I think, you know, he, he'll always be a little bit of a Seahawk at heart, which is why I think he wants to stick it to the Seahawks twice a year. And hey, man, I hope he does. I hope he picks off good old Russell Hustle Bustle and, and high steps into the end zone because the Niners were able to turn a, you know, a division rival cornerback into a Super Bowl once upon a time with Deion Sanders. He came from Atlanta back when Atlanta was in the NFC West. Right. And they were able to turn that into a Super Bowl in 95. And, you know, I'm not saying the Niners are going to win the Super Bowl, but man, wouldn't that be nice? If they were able to go ahead and, and end the, the Seattle season maybe with a Richard Sherman pick six and have him high step into the end zone, I think that'd be really good. I'd yeah, enjoy that. That'd be a nice little cherry on top of the cake right there. And that, that would, be, uh, that would yep. be, I'm sure you guys would, you would just hate to see that happen. I'm sure that it would just eat you up inside. Like, <laughs> oh, boy, those Seahawks, they really got it rough, man. They, they had, to, had to watch their own guy do them in like that. That's just terrible. So I know. I know. But, um, you know, it's like I've, I've always been a fan uh, of Richard Sherman. I've never been really big a fan of those out outlandish, you know, super over the top guys uh and everything, but you respect that the guy is just he's he's walking the walk, you know, as far as uh you know, his mouth is always open, he's always saying something, but he's got the talent and the wherewithal to be able to pull it all off, so you have to uh respect that. Not to mention the guy went to Stanford, so he's no dummy. 
you know, and uh, it's uh, he's uh, he's one of the good guys in in the league, despite the the guy the, the kind of player he can be on Sundays. And that's, I've always kind of fallen on on the line of or, or on the side of the the diva wide receiver or the you know the the lot of players, especially if they're good. I, I don't care, man. Have fun. This yeah. is exactly what this game is about. It's a game. You know, this is why I always loved Ocho Cinco. I loved Terrell Owens. You know, Terrell Owens at least his antics on the field, the popcorn celebration, the sharpie. I mean, come on, how cool is it to pull a sharpie out of your sock, <laughs> sign the football in hand to someone? I mean, that is straight. That's posterizing in the NFL. It's awesome, and 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 it should be, which is why I'm glad they loosened up the celebration uh, rule last year. Like that stuff is fun, man. It's a game. Let them have fun, and if they're gonna talk, man, let them talk. And if they can back it up, even better. Yeah. And if they can't, guess what? You're getting paid to shut them up. You know, exactly. like the, the number one dunk on someone who's talking smack is to point at the scoreboard. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it kind of goes back to 2015. When people were were bitching and moaning about Cam Newton and his touchdown, you know the Superman thing and his little dance and all that kind of stuff, and Cam's uh, response was was exactly what what you just said. It's like, well, don't let him in the end zone, then. You know, it's like stop him from getting yeah. in the end zone, and he can't dance on you. You know, he's not going to dance after a first down. What are you kidding? He's going to do it every time he puts six on the board. So if you don't want to see him dancing, yeah. and if it pisses you off to see him dancing, keep him out of the end zone. It's you know very simple. Yeah. Just just stop me, and I won't be able I, I won't be able to dance. You you keep me from dancing, and I won't be able to do it. So that that's all there is to it. And um, you know, it's like uh, like I said, it's like I've never been a really big fan of those super outlandish guys, the ones that talk too much and all the rest of it but you get, they always got a pass when they could back it up you know like a Ocho Cinco like a Terrell Owens one of my favorite moments ever from Terrell Owens well I don't was he was he I think he was in San Francisco he scored a touchdown and then he stole the pom-poms from the cheerleader and started doing the pom-pom yep. dancing back in the <laughs> yeah. end zone I was watching that live I didn't I've never laughed so hard during a football game my whole life when he did that I just thought that was so great uh when he did that it was just yeah, so funny because because it was shortly after the Sharpie thing, and the NFL was kind of like, all right, that's enough with the with the onside antics. And for him to just, you know, it wasn't predetermined. It wasn't calculated like the Sharpie thing was. So they can't get pissed off at him now. Because he was like, oh, hey, let me get those. And, you know, here I am going to dance with the cheerleaders. And they're all dancing around him and everything as well. I thought that was great, you know. And um, it, it just, it, it like you said, it makes the, the, the game more fun. I also am glad that they eased up on the touchdown uh, celebration. Some of those last year were really, really funny uh, that they did. One of them, the hide and seek one that the Steelers did, I thought was really funny uh, and everything. There were several out there that I that I enjoyed. So it's it is nice to see those things, see them loosening up on that and let the players have fun for a change. Exactly. So we move on to 2018, and, and we're looking at the schedule. You guys have the NFC North, which is why we're talking. Um, actually, we'd be talking anyway because we we finished in fourth place together. Uh, again this year so we'd be a same place opponent if we weren't already playing the nfc west um just jumping real quick to that game number one for the first time in four years it's not in chicago and it's not week 13 uh, of the season because the one thing that i've noticed the in 2015 2016 2017 we played week 13 which is the first week in december and the three games consecutively were December 3rd, December 4th, December 5th, literally the same day of the year that, uh, that they played each other in each of the previous years. So this year we're going all the way to Levi Stadium, still playing in December, but this year it's on the 23rd of December. 
Yeah, for some reason, the, the NFL really loves to put Bears Niners near the end of the year. Yeah. Um, I think someone had a real attachment to, like, you know, 1985 or something. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember even, like, when uh, when the Niners were terrible, and we would go and Devin Hester would just return missed field goals on us for no reason. And we're like, ah, oh, here we go. Um, you know, like, it's, it's, it's been a long history of going to Chicago uh, and almost always, you know, losing. And But, you know, sometimes we're, we're evenly matched, and so we end up yeah. winning and squeaking by by a point on field goals. Right. So, but you, you like I said, you got the NFC North, you got the AFC West this year. So I think that, that kind of minimizes your travel this year, doesn't it? Because um, a lot of West Coast teams, I mean, you're yeah, playing the bad. entire NFC West, AFC West this year. So not a lot of yeah, it's uh, not bad. And honestly, you look at the last part of the season, and if after the bye week we only have uh, it's split fifty fifty home and away, but three of our four games to close out the year are at home. We have the mm-hmm. Broncos at home, the Seahawks at home, the Bears at home, and then away at the Rams. And that's just a short hop in a, a trip to L.A. Right. So it's it's honestly it, it's not bad. Travel does affect teams, um, you know, and, and it does suck. But the West Coast teams have to travel a whole hell of a lot more. But hopefully, you know, we're in that playoff hunt at the end of the year, two games against the Seahawks in December. And, and I think the Niners this year for 2018, I mean, I, I think the over-under in Vegas on their win total is somewhere near eight. Mm. Um, and, and I do think that, that you know, eight and eight, nine and seven is, is about where they'll live. And if, and if a couple things break their way, you know, if they get a team that's injured or, or they're able to, to steal a win – they could get to nine, ten wins and really be contending for a playoff spot near the end of the year. And I think the NFL is looking forward to, you know, the progression that is going to be what the 49ers are. Because one thing that I've noticed looking at the schedules of the teams that we're playing up to this point, you're the, you're the this is the eighth team out of the 13 that we're playing this year that I've uh, done so far. And not seeing a whole lot of national TV games or not seeing a lot of teams that are having multiple uh, national TV games, and I'm seeing three for the 49ers. Two on Monday night and one on Thursday. And in fact, in fact you got a back-to-back going. You got Thursday night for, against the Raiders, uh, week nine, and then week ten, just before you're by, uh, you got the 49ers uh, on Monday night football, and then uh, you know week six so is... So believe, believe it or not, we actually have five. We have five, five primetime games, which is the most that any one team can have in a year. Right. So we've got October 15th against Green Bay. Right. The very next week, we've got a primetime game against the Rams. Uh, two weeks later, we've got a primetime game against the Raiders. And then immediately after that, we've got a primetime game against the Giants. Right. And then in December, uh, our game against the Seahawks is also in primetime. I think a couple of those are on Thursday. Um, and, and I think we've got a, uh, like a Monday night uh, and a Sunday night game in there as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it is uh, the, the, the league is definitely betting on Jimmy GQ and his star power. And, and they are betting on the Niners being good this year. Yeah, I mean, it's and, and also kind of like, um, you know, you see it happen when, when the if, if the Bears have the year that we're hoping that they will, that same thing will probably happen to the Bears next year is that you'll see, you know, three, four. Uh, prime time games because it always just seems like when teams like the 49ers when teams like the Bears are playing well the NFL takes full advantage and puts those teams on national TV to showcase uh, them in in the better lovey years when when Erlacher and, and all those guys when the defense was awesome the Bears were on TV all the time just because we had one of the elite players uh, in the league up there 
the, the it looks like the NFL is banking on on as you call him Jimmy GQ uh, being the next uh, best quarterback in the NFL. So they want to put him on the on TV and then let the world see him. That's exactly right, and and that's that's actually a nickname that was put through its paces. We had a whole tournament uh, to <laughs> figure out what Jimmy's nickname would be. I mean, and there were I mean there was Jimmy GQ, Jimmy Jesus was uh, another. Oh wow, that was uh, that was very popular. Um, Jimmy Jimmy Guap was another one. I mean, there was it was a lot. We went through like I think sixteen different nicknames in a tournament style over the course of uh, of several weeks, and Jimmy GQ rose above the rest, and that's his official nickname here. So. <laughs> That's uh, I mean, I think that the the NFL likes they have a bias towards the Niners, I think um, not like in refereeing or anything. Right. But that's like their West. That's their West Coast standard bearing team. Sure. By and large, they have a pretty ingrained fan base. And, and I think that they you know, they'll always find ways to promote that team in some way, shape or form. And so I think, you know, they've got a new quarterback. You've got an, a time now where you've got to find the next great crop of quarterbacks because Brady, who knows, you know, TB12 might have him playing to 50. But even then, you know, Aaron Rodgers, those are the last kind of two super elite players, um, you know, and and now you need another crop of quarterbacks to that people are going to, you know, debate who the greatest is for the next 10, 15 years. And I think the NFL is hoping that Jimmy GQ is one of them. And I'm hoping that the uh, that uh, that our number 10 uh, Trubisky will will follow suit uh, and be that other uh, quarterback in there as well, because one thing that people don't really, you know, realize, I mean, quarterbacks, they're, they're getting older all the time, playing much longer uh, careers, but even Matt Stafford, this is his 10th year in the league this year. You know, I mean, he's already, you know, you know, it's going to be wrapping it up soon. Rogers, this is 14. I mean, granted, he spent the first three years of his career on the bench behind Favre, but this is his 14th year. Uh, in the league, and you know, with Brady, he's is working on eighteen or nineteen, whatever it's going to be, uh, going into it. And uh, you know, Breeze is is an old man. Uh, Eli Manning, uh, uh, Philip Rivers, and all that kind of stuff. It it's you know, and it's time for these guys to to come up. Which I get think why the NFL was so excited about this year's draft is like, could this be you know the next crop where we get out of the four or five off quarterbacks that were drafted, we get our next Elway and Marino. Uh, that are going to be in the, in the league for it and set, setting the standard for the quarterbacks that are to come later. Yep, that's exactly right. And so I think all in all, man, I'm excited about the the season. I think that, you know, if the Niners do just miss the playoffs, I think it'll still be a very successful year. But I think that's what the team has their eyes on. I think the team has their eyes on, you know, a potential playoff push, especially with the, the Seahawks. And they're kind of falling apart a little bit, you know, that they're thinking about trading Earl Thomas. And so I think they they're looking at a, a division that's ripe for the taking. And, and they just got to get through the Sean McVay led Rams, which is going to be a great rivalry, I think, for years to come, just because of the, the way both coaches are, are kind of building their teams and curating their offenses. And, and that's I think it's going to be a hell of a rivalry. And, and the NFC West is going to be an interesting place in 2018. And I was just talking about that with with my Arizona Cardinals guy uh, the other day. Was that you know the the NFC West, it's it's a deep uh, division, but it's also a huge wild card uh, division. Even even though the, on, on paper the Rams are, are the class of the of the division, but are those new guys that they brought in, Talib and and Peters and and uh, you know Dominic and Sue, adding them to the defense, is that overkill? Is it you know are, is it going to ruin the chemistry having all of these you know cooks in the kitchen uh, kind of thing? Will they be able to pull off what they did a year ago or improve upon it, which would be difficult? 
Um, can the Seahawks bounce back, even though they're cutting free basically everybody that got them to those back-to-back Super Bowls just three, four years ago? Uh, can Arizona bounce back? They were the class of the division there for a couple of years, or at least near the top of it and everything. And can the 49ers continue on the trajectory that they were on, winning the last five games of the season, including victories over two playoff teams uh, a year ago? And impressive wins against those teams as well. I mean, I know it took a last-minute field goal against Tennessee, but you guys trounced the Jaguars. So, I mean, it was it, you know, it's not like you guys beat the Cleveland Browns five times in a row to finish out the year. You're beating some 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 quality football teams there towards the uh, towards the end. So, I mean, it's like can they continue what they were doing? Is Garoppolo the real deal as far as being, you know, the Messiah in San Francisco? Can Russell Wilson write the ship in Seattle? Uh, you know, is Josh Rosen the future in Arizona and can Jared Goff and the Rams, you know, repeat what they did uh, a year ago? There's a lot of questions in the NFC West and it's wide open as far as I'm concerned. I mean, look, who, who am I to argue with mathematics? You know, <laughs> I feel math is a pretty well established thing. Sure. Uh, you know, it, it really runs. It really runs the world. You know, physics is all based on math. And and what projections are telling us at this point are that Jimmy Garoppolo is on pace to finish his career about 235 and 0. Dude's never lost a game. <laughs> and so, you know, at this point, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to go 16 and 0. We could go 16 and go 19 and 0, finish what the Patriots started, uh, and, and actually have a whole undefeated season. Uh, and, you know, that's who am I to argue with math? That's just projections, man. That's nothing but math. Yeah, can't argue with it, man. It's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> undeniable. You know, the guy's what seven, seven and zero as a starter. So uh, seven and zero, that's yeah. exactly right. Can't argue 0. with it. Can't argue with it. So uh, Oscar, I appreciate and you taking in, the time. In the one game, go ahead. In the one game, I was going to say in the, in the one in the one game that he didn't start when he came in in relief against the Seattle Seahawks, the guy throws a touchdown on his only drive. Like it's yeah. just it's just magic. Magic. Let's talk on about that for a second because when he did that, it's like Niners Nation just exploded. When he actually did, he comes on the field and and this the seemingly useless offense goes exact goes directly into the end zone for a touchdown. It's all the talk that I heard about. I, wasn't that the week before he played against Chicago? That's exactly right. Yeah, that was, so uh, he'd been on the team for a couple of weeks, and and yeah, I mean it was one of those things where look when you when you've been fed, you know, two day old potentially rancid meat <laughs> in terms of for a whole year. Uh, and or for at this point for 11 weeks and before that you know it's been a while since we've been good and then you're given a plate of filet mignon you're gonna cheer and it's gonna be great and you're gonna be excited and that's exactly what it was when he came onto the field yeah because it was a completely meaningless touchdown as far as the outcome of the game was concerned but the stadium went bananas and then it's like Niners Nation Niners Nation just exploded about like oh my god he's everything we hoped he would be and and going into that first start against Chicago there was all this hype about Garoppolo and what he was going to be able to do and I'll be damned if the guy didn't live up to it at least for the last five weeks of the season leading you guys to victory because you you a one in ten team coming into Chicago that week of the season. It was supposed to be a slam dunk win for the Bears. It was anything but. And then you know that loss looked better the further we got away from it because it wasn't a fluke victory by the 49ers. They went on to win four yep. straight after that as well. So I mean, I don't feel bad about losing that game. I know I, when I talked about that 2015 game, I wanted back so bad. It's I'm not it, that one's not keeping me up at night. You know, it it, it more about makes me laugh more than anything else when I like when I told you about that stat 
we special teams touchdown. We got a defensive turnover and didn't allow a touchdown. We still lost the game. That's hilarious to me, actually. So, you know, it's it's not. I'm not stinging and sitting here waiting for December third, twenty third to come around so we can get that win back or anything like that. It's more like, oh well, that's just this just happens, I guess. But um, you know, it, it, it's going to be an interesting year. I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm almost sad that I've had such a great time talking to you. It's basically going to be six months before we talk again, man, because we don't play weeks until week 16 when basically every question that we have right now will be answered by then. And hey, man, you know, hopefully all all things, you know, w- w- both teams have like eight or nine wins around that time. And that Bears Niners game is a pivotal game for NFC, you know, kind of playoff positioning. So I, I wish you and your team the best. Hopefully that game is super important. Yeah. Uh, and one of us gets a Christmas miracle. And see if it can't get flexed onto Sunday Night Football because it's just the game that has to be on national TV. You got it, man. That'd be a great outcome for everyone. I'd be real happy with that. All right, so Oscar, tell us where we can uh, find you online. Where can we find the podcast? Uh, You can always find me at Better Rivals on Twitter, uh, and that's B-E-T-T-E-R, Rivals, R-I-V-A-L-S. And then you can find the podcast on Niners Nation, uh, an SB Nation property. So have uh, articles there as well as podcasts. So if you're looking for that episode where we cover the Bears, which we will do uh, right around December, head to Niners Nation and, and give the podcast a listen. All right, Oscar, thanks so much uh, for, uh, for coming on. Uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you about six months uh, from now. So uh, all the best to the uh, 49ers until December 23rd, of course. Same to you, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Os- Oscar Aparicio, the Better Rivals podcast, and uh, Niners Nation on SB Nation, helping us preview the San Francisco 49ers for 2018. want to thank Oscar Aparicio for uh, for stepping in and helping us out, getting through the preview of the 2018 San Francisco 49ers. It's going to be an interesting year uh, out there on in, in the West Western Division uh, on the NFC side. You know, like I mentioned, we talked about uh, you know in the interview itself. You know, uh, will the Cardinals be able to to bounce back? Uh, you know, they're they're bringing in a brand new defensive scheme. They were three four, now they're four three because that's what Steve Wilkes did when he was in Carolina. Uh, three brand new quarterbacks, including Mike Glennon, uh, Josh Rosen, their top draft choice, and of course their starter going in, Sam Bradford, who we do have some experience uh, playing against. And, um, you know, what will, will Seattle be able to bounce back quickly from their first non-playoff season since 2011, 2012, whatever it was? Uh, can the Rams replicate what they did a year ago? I mean, on paper, they are frightening right now. I mean, they were good last year, and they added, uh, you know, uh, Peters and uh, Aqib Tlaib as the corners, and Dominic and Sue to play alongside uh, Aaron Donald as soon as they get that. That's the one thing. Well, actually, he's not a Ram, so we won't have to worry about it, but uh, we will be talking about that with our trader uh, on Wednesday, the Aaron Donald holdout, and, uh, you know, they're going to be able to, to get a contract done to get him in camp on time so they can take advantage of having Indomitian and Sue and Aaron Donald on the same team together. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll check in with him when, when, when the time comes there. But, um, you know, and, and, and can the 49ers keep this up? You know, when they, they finished five games, uh, you know, they won the last five games. Uh, of the year like I said they beat two playoff teams three actually if you want to count the Rams in that meaningless game at the end of the year uh, you know it's an impressive run that they went on and and Garoppolo was the catalyst that that kind of you know 
got that team on that trajectory there at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, can they continue uh, doing that? And, um, you know, what's the first full year under Garoppolo going to look like? I mean, he's, he's it's not just like when he played against the Bears and he'd only met uh, two, three weeks in the system and, and, you know, kind of just out there winging it. Uh, he's had a full off season. He's got his contract, so that distraction is over with. I mean, this is all stuff that he kind of had to worry about in 2017. You know, is is this just a short audition that he's going to be on with the 49ers? Is it going to be like you know an eight week thing, and then he's a free agent and I'm off to to find you know riches somewhere else or all the rest of that stuff? Signed a five year, 125 million dollar contract. He's staying in San Francisco. He's with Shanahan and John Lynch. He's their guy. And, uh, you know, they're building the team around him with the evidence of Mike McGlinchey in the draft choice in the first round uh, and, and, and adding Dante Pettis in the second round, the wide receiver out of Washington to be one of his targets uh, and everything. We're signing Jarek McKinnon, very similar to what the Bears did in, uh, you know, in our offseason, you know, going out and getting an Allen Robinson and then Taylor Gabriel and getting a Trey Burton, drafting Anthony Miller, uh, getting a James Daniels and to, to kind of solidify that front of the offensive line or the middle of the offensive line, I should say, uh, and everything else. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're clearly building a football team around uh, Garoppolo. So those distractions are gone. And, um, you know, will they be able to do it? A full off season, a full training camp as the starter. Uh, from day one being the focus as opposed to being uh, kind of a background player when he first came in, uh, didn't play for the first, what, three weeks or so that he was on the team. So uh, kind of like with Trubisky, he's the starter all throughout the offseason, OTAs, into training camp, taking all the first team snaps, and, uh, you know, he's coming into the year uh, as the man and has been the man since, you know, week five of last year. But he's got an all, all the offseason, which is a lot more involved as far as studying and play uh you know uh, implementation and everything else so uh, uh very similar situations uh going on there but uh we'll uh, we'll see how it all unfolds uh for the 49ers can they keep it up can they continue and uh we'll see how it all unravels i'm very interested to see how the NFC West is going to be it's like on paper it should be the rams and basically everybody else fighting for second place in that division but the NFL is a crazy place man you never know what is going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to watch out there uh, in that NFC West division. So that is going to do it for our preview of the San Francisco 49ers. We will be back on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, probably. Yeah, most than likely Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night. Actually, we will be talking to Spike Friedman from the Locked On Seahawks uh, podcast. Thanks so much to uh, Lauren Cox for helping us uh, get that hooked up. And then Brad Mater, the trader. That's what we're going to call him when we have him on the show. The native Chicagoan who's going to talk to us about the L.A. Rams on Wednesday night. And that show will probably be out on Thursday or so. Um, yeah. Brad Mater, the trader. Um, that's, yeah, that's what I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him that to his face when I talk to him uh, on Wednesday. Also from the Locked On Rams podcast. So, again, thanks to Lauren Cox for helping us uh Help you know helping us uh, get some guests, so I have some people to talk to uh, about these teams. So that'll be the week, and that will finish the NFC West. We move on to the North, and then finally our beloved Chicago Bears probably get that done just in time for training camp and the preseason. And before you know it, it'll be September 9th, and the Bears are kicking it off against the Packers on Sunday Night Football. Cannot wait. So. Anyway, like I said, that is going to do it for the preview of the San Francisco 49ers. 
We'll be back on Tuesday with uh, Spike Freeman from Locked on Seahawks to talk about Seattle. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.